playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced weird stuff has happened in the past and here i am to tell you about it i guess yeah i will yeah absurd real history hello and welcome to absurd real history the podcast where i find weird stories from the past and find weird people to tell them to i am as always i'm your host Saoirse Cheney, and i'm delighted to be joined by actor writer and filmmaker Seamus Hanley hello hi Seamus and weird person I yeah Fe- fellow weird person I love it oh I love it I, <laughs> I say that a lot in my introductions and a lot of the time people kind of I realize am I offending people I hope I haven't <laughs> offended my guests but I mean weird in the the best of senses oh have yeah you, yeah have you ever talked to normal people um I'm sure I have, but I think I blacked it out. I think I blacked out the memory. Yeah, I just they're very boring. There's nothing going on there, you know. Mm. Uh, No, no no offense to any of the normal. Please, please, normal people, please keep listening. Yeah, no, sorry. Oh God, we're only like a minute in, and I've already offended normal people. Which I think it was me that that. offended them. I think it was me that offended them. I jumped on that bandwagon. We're 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 complicit in this together. Anyway, (laughs) would you consider yourself nerdy? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. It was an ironic. <laughs> I, I get what's funny is like I'm like, oh, I should explain that, and then I realize, oh, it's oh, it's objectively obvious. I'm having a millhouse. Oh, so am I. Nerd moment. Yes, I am a nerd. Definitely. You're into comic books, right? Yeah. Yes, I am. Who's your like favorite like comic book superhero? Oh, uh, Spider Man is my guy. I uh, mm. as I haven't read a lot these days, but as a teenager, I like I had a subscription to the Astonishing Spider Man. It was a UK print that reprinted American issues, so you'd get two to three issues of Spider Man in one book. And I read that monthly. And I was and this is uh, I, I was fourteen when the the first Tobey Maguire Spider Man movie came out. I think Spider Man's the best superhero. That's he's my guy. We we have talked a lot about Spider Man mm. and how the Tobey Maguire films are probably the most faithful comic book adaptations. Uh, th- they are, yeah. yeah. But let's let's not get into that because we're 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 not talking about Spider Man. We oh, we're talking uh, we're talking about Wonder Woman. Oh oh, awesome. Okay. What do you know about Wonder Woman? Um, I know a few things that will come up. I know you know because I have I've not I didn't read Wonder Woman. I, I think I watched the show a little. The you know the the, the in the seventies with yeah, Laura just, Carter. Yeah, because that's there's a lot of seventies shows that showed on TV when I was a kid in the nineties. I think RT showed a lot of. Mm. But I know some of the interesting things really to do with the guy who created this, which I I I don't want to say. There's a couple of bullet point things I know, but I'm like. I know you're going to give this information, but I know he he was an interesting dude. That's kind of what we're we're talking about today. So I thought you'd be a good person to have on because I am really I don't know a lot about comic book world, so I kind of focus more on the other stuff. But don't feel like you're you're spoiling. I mean, that's kind of like the fun of this podcast is having people on, and sometimes they know stuff, and sometimes they don't, or seeing what they do know and filling in the blanks. I know because I know he was an interesting guy. He was into bondage, and he invented the lie detector. Are these the things? Am I giving this away? Very into bondage. Where <laughs> very, yeah, let's em- let's very, emphasize that. <laughs> yeah, no, like super. That I mean, <laughs> I feel like that's one of his main personality traits is being into I, bondage. I like this. Like Seamus, while you did reference that he's into bondage, you have also failed to really make it clear <laughs> the truth and the nature of the situation. You, you you kind of know a little bit of the bullet points. Mm. Um, this might be new information to other people. I will say there is a really good book, The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Jill Lepore. So if anyone is super into the really in-depth stuff that I kind of brush on here, definitely recommend that book. That being said, it is a lot of he said, she said 
in regards to the history of stuff. But the bondage is objectively true. <laughs> that, that can't be disputed. The, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bondage, <laughs> a lot of bondage. So yeah, let's just, let's get into it. Do you know when Wonder Woman first entered the world? Would have been the f- early 40s? Yep, 1942. Oh, wow. I Oh, I'm, I, I'm very proud of how I, because I, I know that like Superman and Batman are the 30s. They are the only superheroes that are older than Wonder Woman that are like still big and existing. So Wonder Woman, right. Superman, and Batman are like the three yeah. original superheroes. Because you have stuff like, I forget where, the, there's, a, there's a couple of like, but they're not quite, Green Lantern is, but they're not quite superheroes. Or like Green Lantern didn't become a superhero mm. until later because some of them were totally different. But yeah, like the, it's, and it's funny to think that, especially Batman and Superman, we have another Batman movie being made. And it's like, you know, this is almost a hundred years old. We, we think of Batman as like, oh, that's from the eighties. And it's like, no, it's really old. And yeah. And sorry. And, and yeah, then, but obviously things, yeah, superheroes kicked in in the thirties, but then the forties, there was this cultural shift called world war two, mm. but they still made comics, but they were very much shaped by that time. Yeah, exactly. And we'll kind of get into that a bit anyway. I don't think we actually said his name, but Wonder Woman was primarily developed by Dr. William Moulton Marston, who is a psychologist, which was weird for the for the time. I think a lot of the time the comic book creator scene was the kind of working class Jewish community in New York kind of city. Yeah. So having like an educated kind of waspy psychologist was kind of weird right, in itself right, at the yeah. time. I like as well that he has uh, comic book character initials. His, 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 his initials match, which is a comic book trope. <laughs> Dr. William Moulton Marston. Oh, yeah. So I forgot. I missed the William, but the Moulton, mm. Mar- Dr. Moulton Marston. That's very, you know, a, a lot of comic book characters have like um, Reed Richards and Peter Parker and Bruce Banner. And apparently that's just because Stan Lee was like, I'll remember them. Easier if- to remember. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> So we're going to like not talk about Wonder Woman for a little bit. But as you're listening to all this, really be thinking about all this directly inspired Wonder Woman. Oh, so it's Wonder Woman Begins. It's the first Wonder half Woman of Wonder Woman Begins. The, the origin. Where Moulton Marston goes off to a, an unspecified part of Asia and mm. hangs out with Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson <laughs> tells him all the time, have you ever tried bondage before? And, um, so much bondage. So like. much bondage. <laughs> so much. Like, I was like, oh, I'm going to have Seamus on. We're going to have a lovely, fun episode about Wonder Woman. And it's just, it's, I, we, it's, we're going to talk about BDSM a lot. It's been, <laughs> it's been five or so minutes and we still haven't tapped into properly emphasizing the true amount of bondage. Okay, okay. So William was born in Massachusetts in 1883 and he grew up in the era of the suffragette movement really becoming a thing. He grew up extremely privileged and extremely well-educated, getting a PhD in Harvard. In 1915, he married his childhood sweetheart, Elizabeth Holloway, and they would continue to learn and work parallel to each other. She actually helped him develop the, the lie detector. And this is a thing that is spread, that Marston himself actually helped spread but they didn't actually invent the the lie detector. Okay. Um, in reality, him and his wife, equally together, was actually Elizabeth's idea, created systolic blood pressure test. She noticed that her blood pressure rise when she got emotional or stressed. And this is a key component for the modern lie detector test. And the, mod- the modern lie detector, that's the polygraph. That would be the more technical. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So this is a component of the polygraph, but it isn't actually it in itself. Okay. It's and like it's course, like it's like the yeah. Thomas Edison situation. He didn't invent the light bulb, but he contributed to it. Yeah. 
he was really fascinated by human human psychology and studying lies and deception, you know. And again, this is Wonder Woman. You have the lasso of truth and all this. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing the sound waves of your voice and it looks like, oh, I'm telling a lot of lies because it's doing this a lot. <laughs> so you're telling me about a polygraph and now this looks like a polygraph test that I'm failing. You, yes, all failing. No, this, this is all true. <laughs> I believe you. Elizabeth, by all accounts, seems like an awesome woman. They were kind of, you know, they were dating when they were teenagers. They both went to college together, separate universities because women couldn't attend Harvard back then. She got her MA in Radcliffe even though she did all the work of a PhD because women couldn't get PhDs. She was majoring in law and psychology. Um, And Marston was, you know, actively encouraging her to study and work at a time when a woman's place was in, when it was in the home. So he's very much a a feminist. Marston would identify as a feminist. Right, yeah. And his idea of feminism is very interesting, which we're going to get to a little bit later. So we're in 1925 now. And in, a 20, in 1925, a 21-year-old Olive Byrne was a senior at Tufts University. With, and uh, William Marston, that year when he, she was a senior, he was only 32, starting off as a new professor. And he had a reputation for all this kind of lie detector work that he had done. And he's known as a person, he was quite controversial in a lot of ways. So he's one of those right. people that never really stuck to a job very long. So he's kind of ended up doing oh, lots okay. of okay. Could of stuff. never really sit still. Could never really. Could never really sit still. Was fired because of scandal. Who knows? One or the other. Probably a combination. Wait, what? Wait, what? Well, you got to understand. His views were quite uh, weird. Right. Not just. Not just like for the time where like. I would say they're they were, weird now too. Yeah. Like some of it's very very progressive for its time, and then so, there's this whole other thing that's unusual. Yes. Okay. Yes. So. So Olive Byrne uh, would attend William's classes. She was the niece of Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger at the time was one of the most renowned radical feminists in America at the time. Right. Her and her mother coined the term birth control in Women Rebel, which was a feminist monthly. Whoa. Like okay. coined that term. Yeah. And wow. in 19- Yeah. And in 1916, they opened the first birth control clinic in all of the United States. Because I listened, I listened to your previous episode and about ancient birth control. Yeah. And we, as a species, went through all of that shit before we even had a good term for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So William Moulton Marston was in awe of Olive and of her lineage. You know, being related right. to these renowned feminist that he was, you know, worshipping and following, like, in the the movement. Olive was young, beautiful, intelligent. She would be, like, the go-to woman that everyone else on campus went to to get their birth control because she was like, oh, I got an aunt in New York that'll hook you up. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she was also known for having her, for having quite an androgynous look, something like a boy, a boylet look, a boylet right. look. So, like, short, dark hair and dressing like a boy which was more of a more of a fad in the UK at the time than in America. Like it was right. Kind of, yeah. Obviously, you know, she hooked up with her professor William Moulton Marston. Yeah. No. No. The narrative was heading that yeah, way. Yeah. So, yeah. No. Yeah. No. I, no. You. No. You. You set. You set. You set up the chemistry there very well. But one thing she also did was like worked as an assistant towards William Moulton Marston. So again, there's some blurred lines there. You can a Tufts University. Olive explained to. 
uh, William Moulton all about sorority hazing practices for her sorority Alpha Omicron Pi. And as an Irish person, I, it's mad to me that these American societies work, and the whole idea of hazing is just yeah. Crazy and also, and, and also the name of the the sorority sounds like a transformer. They uh, yeah, they all do. <laughs> so she invited William to a baby party okay uh yeah, I'm, yeah. i've got about 17 different versions of what that could be in my head three of them <laughs> civilized it was a hazing practice that they did at her sorority at tufts where girls were dressed as babies and tied up and blindfolded and then told to carry out orders and hit with sticks uh, of course marston fucking loved this <laughs> Yeah, it's just... <laughs> he wanted to study exactly what the women felt like tying up other women and how the tied up women felt being tied up and all this kind of so, stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I'm just like, okay, well, I guess if they were all adults and it was all consented and then I realized, well, they were all in college and it's this time, maybe some of them were very... I'm just... But that, it's like, I'm just, I'm just very curious about this entire thing it's isn't it nice that molten marston i'm just gonna keep calling molten marston i'm gonna molten marston sure yeah my man multi but um it's nice that he he thought i wonder what this is like for them which i'm guessing is a very progressive thing for that time what 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 is this like for the women here's the thing i've done a lot of research on this and there's loads of different angles you can go and i I can't figure out if he was just a good guy or not. So I'm hoping maybe after listening to all this... Isn't that always the question? Yeah. At the end of all this thing, I just want you to tell me, do you think he was just a good a good guy? Because on... Yeah, so... I'll, I'll, I'll try and make a judgment, but I should say ahead of time, it's important to say, I, I'll, I won't... I couldn't possibly know. And I might forget <laughs> that I said that and then suddenly have the strong opinion, so I should say that. Well, well just hearing what information that we, we have... When, when Olive graduated from Tufts University, and shortly after, Marston, Moulton Marston himself also left teaching. Like, he only taught there for a couple of years. Taught there, met Olive. Olive moved in with Elizabeth and William, and the three had a, a polyamorous relationship that would last lifetime, their whole lifetime. Right. Because well, I, I, I was thinking, again, and this is, this is the subject of, was he a good guy? I hear that, and you refer to it as polyamorous, and I'm wondering, like, could it be called that? But then you say it lasted a lifetime. It's like, okay, well then, yeah, maybe. like it wasn't just yeah. a, it wasn't just a, uh, a live-in mistress. Yeah, because I'm sure that there's stuff like that as well, where it's like that's not polyamorous. That's this. This is nasty. Like this is no one's, not everyone's happy here. Well, this is the thing. In one of the books I read, an aunt of someone, or there's there's some like anecdotal evidence that apparently Moulton Marston, William Moulton Marston, told Elizabeth like you know, either Olive is moving in with us or I, I'm walking, which is intense and are horrible, but then it yeah. doesn't really match up with the other stuff. It's just hard to to know. And these were both very much strong, progressive women. And Elizabeth wanted is to that, keep yeah, working. He seemed to encourage, who knows how much credit he deserves yeah. for encouraging them. I mean, they did it themselves, but yeah. their accomplishments, but they objectively accomplished, especially for yeah. that time. So they, you know, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff, and it's not said enough, of like people like Einstein, who was horrible to his wife, mm. uh, and 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 I, I was it him or like like these these people most who, of them so called yeah so called <laughs> great, great men, men are terrible husbands. <laughs> a lot of the, a lot a lot of the sci-fi writers, the really great sci-fi writers. I'm trying to remember who it was. 
I don't think I'll upset anyone because these people are all have been dead for a very long time and they were all horrible anyway. I think it was like H.G. Wells demanded he have a mistress, like insisted, but also like insisted on his wife's permission, which is kind of funny. Like, but, mm. uh, but so, yeah. So, so my point is there are other examples where it's objectively much worse. So whether yeah. or not we could call this good, it does sound a bit more well communicated. To yeah. These other people of note of that time. Yeah. Other men of note. I should specify men being terrible. Mm. So they, they, they kept their intimate life private, as you would expect. And it's probably for the best. We know we don't need to hear all the, the details. Yeah, yeah. But it was definitely a polyamorous relationship with both mm-hmm. Olive and Elizabeth bearing two children each of Williams. Olive actually uh, w- wore a bracelet on each wrist to symbolize, oh. like, basically as a wedding band, which is the exact same that Wonder Woman wears. Uh, They're the exact same design and everything. That's directly... I'm in the cinema watching... I know there is actually a film of this guy. I just haven't watched it. But I'm in the cinema mm. watching it like I'm watching Batman Begins and someone, you know, turns over a, a Joker playing card. And I'm like, oh, I know what that means. So she puts on the bracelets. and the, I'm at the point now where she's put, Olive's put on the bracelets and I'm like, Oh, I know what that's a reference to. <laughs> like, I picked mm-hmm. up on that. That's gonna be in. That's gonna be in a YouTube video. Hey, if you notice this Easter egg, these bracelets <laughs> symbolize foreshadow. Yep. So, so Wonder Woman is often said to be these two women that William Moulton Marston based it on these women. Okay. Yeah. No, you meant you mentioned they made a film. I was there a Netflix film about Moulton Marston um, and Luke Evans played him. It wasn't a Netflix film, and I actually watched it in preparation for this. Um, it's called Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Right, and it's your man. It's your man from Luke Evans. Yeah. Gaston, Luke Evans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been picturing. I've been picturing Luke Evans every time we talk about oh, Multi Mars. When you picture him, Luke, like he. Should I Google a picture of him? Yeah, that, I, that... I mean, he's not that like. None of them are as attractive as they are in the movie. I'll just say that. Well, that's just always the case with biopics now. Yeah, <laughs> attractive in their own right. I think he was much more charismatic, but he was kind of, I don't know. Oh, I see what you mean. He's kind of, I mean, no, he's like a, the only visual simula- uh, simulation, the only visual similarity he has with Luke Evans is they both have like a chin cleft. If they both have a and chin. That, <laughs> and that, uh, uh, they both have a chin, but he has like, he has like a cleft. He has like a groove. Yeah, and uh, even yeah. even more so, like, the actress that they got to play Olive, like I was saying before, she was kind of like quite androgynous looking. She had, like, short black mm. hair. She looked kind of, she dressed more boy-like. Whereas in the movie, they have this, like, beautiful blonde, I can't remember her name. I think it's Wonder Bella, Woman-esque. Bella Houghton. Um, right. Just very feminine. Right. And nothing against that. It just... It's not all of. Oh yeah, no, it's just, it's just not accurate, yeah. and, and that just, that kind of defeats the purpose of telling that story a little, well, doesn't it? I'm gonna. We're just gonna talk about this really, really briefly. So, so the film is very much. It takes a lot of artistic liberties, and it's an interesting film. I feel like they should have just made the film and not had it relate to Wonder Woman and just been inspired by it. And this is for a couple yeah. of reasons. Reason number one, the film writer and director, Angela Robinson, leans into the idea that both Elizabeth and Olive were intimately involved. And that was probably more of the, the core, which we don't know. I assume they, they must have been. And she took that too. But we don't know. And Christy Marston, who is uh, William Moulton Marston's granddaughter, actually spoke out about the film saying that Olive and Elizabeth were were like sisters. Uh, there was nothing sexual there. And that at the time, they would have been progressive that if it was, they would have said. But 
right. kind of find that hard to believe for a few reasons. And also because, you know, obviously they're going to hide their sex life from their granddaughter, <laughs> no matter how yeah. progressive you are. And coming from a society where lesbianism wasn't really a thing, I personally feel like they were both probably bi, but... I, I, biopics tend to this day tend to go by pretty, like, they get away with a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, so we should always listen to the people connected to the stories, what they have to say. Mm. That said, I can imagine being a person watching a biopic about my, you know, two grandparents and going, no, this didn't happen. They never had sex. Shut three, up, shut up, shut up. I don't three want to grandparents. Three, three grandparents. No, but two in particular. Two in particular. Yeah. Where it's just like, no, they didn't. Shut up. I don't want to hear about this. I came, <laughs> out the, I came from a stork egg. Shut up. Well, one thing that I don't but like, I, I, though. I, I, don't mean, I, don't mean, I don't mean to discredit Christy Marston. I, I, I'm just, I, there is some exploration there i agree but, but i don't mean to discredit her and i think she kind of felt like because this movie uh professor marston and the wonder Wo- woman released kind of jumping off the coattails of the first cinematic wonder woman movie that came out oh, the Gal- yeah, Gadot. Gadot, and she kind yeah. of felt like you know like even the promotional image for the picture has like kind of wonder woman-y but then it's a completely different as i said i feel like they should have just made the film but just made separately because as a film it actually is a really good depiction of a, a healthy polyamorous relationship in a time where that wasn't really accepted yeah that's nice because in a time as well where um monogamous relationships are still very dominant in media and stuff are yeah pretty, still pretty strong like i think it is a, a good representation for like i think it is a like a healthy uh, depiction of bondage and polyamory but i don't know if this was the right like story to tell it to does that make sense like yeah but one thing i really don't like that the director and writer angela robinson did and said is she actively didn't talk to any of the family members because and she said and she would say in another interview she wanted to form her own inspiration because there's a lot left speculation so she didn't want to be like informed but I'm kind of like mm. you can be in like that's so stupid educate yourself as much as you can about the real that subject is- matter and then if you want to change things change it after you've done all the research like obviously yeah obviously that's- change things for artistic purposes and for the nature of the story and do your own interpretation but don't use that as an excuse to to not even to bother to talk to family members yeah because there's there's just say an actor is going to play a real life person and they decline an opportunity to meet that person beforehand because it actually would get in the way of their influence. I can understand. But what she's describing isn't denying an influence. It's neglecting research, I would say. Yeah. It's more like that. Um, Out of stubbornness. But a lot of directors do that a bit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because I understand as well, this is a whole other thing, but how like a biopic is not going to be a documentary no there's still a responsibility there's some biopics that i can't think of a lot of great examples but um that make a creative decision like that that brings brings the story along and doesn't necessarily do any harm to the subject matter it's like well we had to get to this point so we had to kind of fake this pretend that these two conversations happened this one day as opposed to two Mm. separate years two, two separate years apart but it's it's always debatable whether or not that was the right choice. It's there's no hard and fast rule with that. I wanted to say just about I think a week ago I finally watched The Favorite, which have you seen that film? You know the one, the Yorgos Lathamos. Uh, I always get his name wrong. Um, but you know you know that director. You know The Favorite with uh, Olivia Coleman and Rachel Weisz. You know the film? It's about Queen Anne. I oh, know uh, I haven't seen that. I remember. Oh, this is what happened. I 
almost saw it in the IFI and then I didn't. Okay, yeah. But I yeah. was planning on it. Same, but then I, I watched it recently because it's on either Disney Plus or Netflix. I forget where I watched it because it's all the same to me. But my point is, sorry, I, I, mean, I am getting to a point. I'm sorry, I'm going on about this film. Okay. My point is about Queen Anne, who was the queen in the past. History. <laughs> a bad at history. And the whole story basically is about she had like a lifelong assistant who was played by Rachel Weisz and I, I forget the name of the characters, these real people. And they were like, and it was like a very close relationship they had. And the story is about uh, Emma Stone is like a servant in the house, but then works her way up becoming a close, having a close friendship with the queen and kind of usurping Rachel Weisz, who has like a position of power by being so closely associated with the queen. But then also they revealed that they're also, they're also doing it, (laughs) her and the queen. They also have like a, a sexual relationship. And the thing is, based on Holt, there's nothing to confirm that. This is based on a historical speculation that they were so close, it's possible that they were actually lovers. And then there was, a, there was this woman who then re- worked her way up and usurped the assistance of the queen. And it's possible they were lovers as well. It's not confirmed, but it's also, you can say, so far in the past that it's now safer to just tell a story based on it and admit that it's not mm. historically accurate, but is, isn't this an interesting story? Meanwhile, we're here talking about Multimarsen. It's much more recent. So there's more responsibility. Yeah. There's, there's much less license to be like, well, I'll just tell my story. And, and it, it's, it's okay to tell a story influenced by it. No, so I totally it's, it's not get making that. sense. I mean, that, that there's, there's more responsibility with Multimarsen because it's much more recent. I, I agree. I feel like there's always responsibility if there's living relatives who remember. Yeah. Who actually knows some shit. Who knows some stuff. And I would also say, like, history loves turning everyone into lesbians. Yeah. Like, that's one thing that I've noticed from, like, stories of the past. Like, whenever there's two close female, like, friendships, it's always like, oh, there are probably repressed lesbians and they couldn't make a thing. Not saying that that didn't happen. But I feel like it's not as often as a lot of these yeah. uh, biopics pe- are people, saying. People also like to think any kind of closeness means a romance, which actually frustrates me. Uh, you yeah. know, it's if, yeah. if you have a, if you, you know, if you're... Asexual representation is it needs to be a thing. Platonic romance, a non-sexual is, is good as well. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's the same for women as well, but just, just you're a boy growing up and then you have a best friend who's a boy, everyone will make jokes that the two of you are gay. Uh, which is uh, a problem. <laughs> yeah, like you can, and I also think as well, um, we need to examine things from a historical lens. So if you're talking about the the past, the idea, especially for women, I think it's different for guys, but for women, the idea of being in a sex positive relation, like the idea of enjoying sex in general was kind of rare let alone being open enough to even if you were lesbian be able to to try that with a woman not saying that people didn't but there is a social context that I think people forget about that mentally people are at a a different place now than they would have been back then you can't analyze these situations with a modern lens because the whole how we are structured is completely different like society is much more better to LGBTQ rights and LGBTQ people did exist back then, but I don't think they would have accepted it. Not all of them. A lot of them were probably acting on it, but I think there were a lot that weren't acting on it or a lot that didn't know what they were. So I feel Mm. like we have to be careful when we're just kind of like, they were transgender, they were lesbian, they were this. But this is a case where I feel like Olive and Elizabeth 
were probably lovers as well. That's your your take that there was it wasn't just yeah, um, and that's coming from someone that yeah. is doesn't kind of say that lightly is what that tangent is for okay so back to the movie here's another thing that they leave out in professor marston and the wonder woman and a lot of people live at is there was a third woman (gasps) yeah marjorie w huntley completely ignored from the film and actually met elizabeth and william before olive may i ask i'm sure i already know the answer to this but i have to ask did the w stand for wonder Mm, i actually don't know but let's say yes Oh, oh, okay. That's not the answer I thought. I, I thought I'd get a no, Seamus, and you're being funny for I asking. Probably written but, oh it down. No, I, I don't know. Maybe did, no. <laughs> did the world? Did the world just get a little bit more fantastic? Ooh, I don't know what it stands for. <laughs> I probably should. I had to ask. <laughs> she was a women's rights campaigner who believed in the psychic power of the orgasm and love binding. Love binding is what they called bondage back then. They didn't have right. terms for it the way we do now. Despite having a, a, a generous supply of it around. There was a lot of it going on, but they didn't, uh, yeah. Yes. Much like birth control, it turns out you can have a lot of it before you have the, uh, uh, the right term for it. Yeah. Uh, Marston first brought home the bondage-loving Marjorie Huntley as a live-in lover in 1919, which was before Olive and only a few years after Elizabeth and William even got married. And she would kind of semi-permanently live with them for like years to come. She actually did some of the writing on like the original okay. that would be, you know, 20 years later. So. Um, although she was not interested. She was uninterested in forming a permanent okay. arrangement with them. She's kind of like a free rights come in now and again, do loads of bonded stuff, leave out. Whereas Olive, Elizabeth and William Marston were very much a, a trio. Right. So they had their kids. The adults kind of had their area of the house the kids didn't go to where they did all their kinky bondage things. And this is a quote from some of uh, William Moulton Marston's writings that the women would expose their bodies and use various legitimate methods of the love sphere to create in males submission to them. So even if Olive and Elizabeth weren't directly in relationship themselves, I find it hard to believe that there wasn't threesomes happening. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with Marjorie. Yeah. I, I Mar- Mar- Marjorie then, W. Maggie Wonder Huntley. Um, sorry, I'm giving all these people. She's just doing her own thing. But but she, but she, uh, there was direct writings for the character of Wonder Woman. There was something she had. To oh, no. There, she just did some of the lettering, some of the font. She didn't like Oh, write. the lettering. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's just a letterer. No one cares about them. <laughs> Okay, that's a little joke for the comic book cred. It's like, oh, no one gives a shit about the letterer <laughs> that they didn't. Yeah, like anything. she didn't. She didn't do <laughs> like she didn't do that much. It just shows that they still had a relationship at that stage. You know, that right, there was right, no, right. And she, she was into like in... free love and all this. I'm Maggie Wonder Huntley, I do my thing. Yeah, so they're kind of set up. Olive would mind the kids. Olive was like the caretaker, which she liked doing. You know, she want like that's kind of. She wanted to. It to seems do that. that this was all cool, yeah. And and that allowed Elizabeth to go and work, you know, shortly after giving birth, which is what she wanted to do. And they right. needed that extra income because, as I said, Marston was kind of a bit all over the place with his academic ladders and his inability to keep a job, possibly due to his home life and rumors, you know, like polyamory, not so cool. They told right. neighbor, they would tell people that Olive was a widower and that her kids. Her two kids had came from a guy that didn't exist. They completely made him up. It's Marston's kids. They're all Marston's kids. Right. But this was the story that they had to tell. Elizabeth and William 
actually legally adopted Olive's kids, but Olive still stayed in the family as their as their mother. So it was very much. So they also they also kept it legal. Yeah, kind of. Even though even though laws are superfluous and, and you know can be crappy, but it's just like they. they this is a functioning unit. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they had their system that, that worked. And I guess another hint that I would say that, that why the women are together is, spoiler alert, William Marston <laughs> died very relatively young in his like 50s. And when he passed... Oh, dear. That's yeah, sad. of skin cancer. So wear sunscreen, guys. Oh, yeah. If there's, if there's one piece of advice that I can, if I can relate, sunscreen would be it. Mm-hmm. But what I think is interesting is after he died, Olive and Elizabeth lived together for the rest of their lives until like the 90s when they both passed away. Okay. So they lived for like almost four decades. Right. After he had So gone. we can we can confirm, we can more or less confirm that even if there was nothing sexual between them, and also like I'm talking about private people, private things about people who really existed, uh, who have ancestors that live to this day. But they definitely had a connection to each other. They had a commitment. Well, they don't. They didn't just both individually commit to him. They committed to each other, and stayed. You know what I mean? They were a, a yeah. unit, yes. all committed to each in, individually to each other. Yeah. yeah, there was definitely a relationship there. We're just not sure if it was sexual. Yeah, and if I met, if and I met them today, I'm not going to ask. <laughs> it would be rude. Yeah, exactly. Why should we? It'd be very rude. Why should we? Do, yeah. No. What I already know is nice so... to hear. We're going to to leave it there with the <gasps> three of them all living together Wait, with their four kids. They're they're lying to everyone. Obviously, they had to lie to everyone, but there was rumors. It's kind of one of those things that people were speculating. But again, I think they got away with it because the idea of a polyamorous couple of like a living mistress that was as connected to the wife as the husband and, you know, yeah. sharing kids just seemed so out of context now i i don't know what's to come so me as the viewer and i'm over dramatizing i'm seeing this as like a you know but they they lived a good you know despite these issues they lived a healthy family life and i'm, I'm expecting until one day well although you did skip ahead and yeah say yeah right. by by all accounts and from anecdotes that we've heard, they seem to be very happy in with this setup. It seems to work for them. It, Elizabeth was happy having Olive look after the kids because it meant that she didn't have to. She was a working woman. And by all of accounts, that's where Olive was kind of happy. I mean, we talked... And they got on well with the kids as well? I assume kids. so, yeah. I mean, there's been... I mean, yeah. to write a lot of these books, there's been interviews with grandkids and stuff olive and elizabeth actually named their children after each other even oh wow yeah i'm i'm more and more i'm loving the olive and elizabeth vibes yeah exactly more and more you know people who were you just like i just love to have dinner with you sometime and so you can see why professor marston and the wonder woman movie chose to focus in on that a lot Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because they did go on to live so yeah we're gonna leave it there uh Next okay. episode, we're going to start, we're going to talk about Wonder Woman more and comic books. So now you kind of have the William Marston backstory and you're kind of seeing hints of Wonder Woman. You know, you got the lasso of truth. Yeah, we're going and... to the stuff I'm more comfortable talking about. But this is, we just spent some time talking about the stuff I should be hearing more of. Like just the, like, yes. exploring fluidity <laughs> and, 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 and walking away from conventional notions of relationships. We'll have Seamus 
in and I lured I lured him into a false sense of security to start being like, yeah, we're talking about comic books. And then I'm like, no, bondage and polyamory. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> cool. Yeah, so that's the that's the episode. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, so um, uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I make videos and stuff. Uh, I made it. I've made where, movies. What's your handle? Uh, where can people on, find you? On Twitter, it's Seamus Handley, all one word. And on Instagram, it's Seamus.Handley. So, but if you just look up Seamus Handley, you know what I mean? It's, it's the, just search my name. Uh, and then my stuff, I've got a link tree that I'm always updating. So that's stuff there. Uh, and I'll, I guess I'll plug um, breaking news. I'll plug, I have a Star Trek fan series called Kirk Squad. It's it's not for necessarily for Star Trek fans. It's if you like Archer and uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force or, or home movies. I mean, uh, People have heard of Archer. People don't know those other two shows. But it's just a silly, funny Adult Swim type comedy series where I reanimate uh, Star Trek, the animated series footage, and make them repurpose it. Um, you're in an episode. Uh, you're in I am. that came out a year ago. I haven't find made, my voice. I have your challenge. I haven't. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're very no, but you're very much a chameleon. So who knows who you were in in the show? Um, but and you did a great job. Very very funny um, performance. That last episode came out a year ago. But uh, I haven't announced this online, but there will be new episodes in May. Ooh, you heard it here first, guys, in absurd real history. Yeah. I have always have been your host, Saoirse Shanae. You can find my social media in the link below. Or if you'd like to contact directly about this podcast, you can email absurdrealhistory at gmail.com. This podcast is brought to you by my theatre company, Scream for Ireland. And although we've been kind of on a lull recently because of COVID, there's a lot of stuff that'll be happening soon. Uh, so do be sure to give that a, a like on all the socials. And I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, bondage. I don't know. That's, that's it. What's this, uh, what's this music I'm hearing right now?